past 10 years, uh, my extended family has spent a week vacationing in South Haven, Michigan. Anybody ever been to South Haven, Michigan? Woo, that's powerful South Haven advocate there. Um, South Haven was founded in the 1850s uh, where the Black River dumps into Lake Michigan. It was established primarily as a lumber and a fruit town. In 1872, a lighthouse was built to guide lumber boats uh, in and out of the harbor. Now, the lighthouse, which has since been rebuilt, stands 35 feet tall. It can be seen for 13 miles. The iron red painted structure sports one of the few existing lighthouse catwalks in the Great Lakes area, which allows keepers to access the lighthouse in bad weather, of which there is lots of bad weather in Lake Michigan. Uh, South Haven is now mostly a tourist town, and the lighthouse is automated, but it is still used by all kinds of boats to get in and out of the harbor. It's also viewed as an attraction by thousands of people every year. It's featured in the background of countless family photos. There is way back in the background of the picture. Uh, recently, the South Haven's Visitor Association spent hundreds of thousands of dollars refurbishing the lighthouse to keep it functional. Technically speaking, this was unnecessary. It's not necessary anymore. Lighthouse isn't with GPS and all the electronic tools that boats have. And it could just as well have been torn down, like so many of the other lighthouses around the country. But to the South Haven community, this is a no-brainer. What would they do? Who would they be without their lighthouse? Well, winding down this morning our fall series called What the Church Was Meant to Be. Uh, during this series, we've been looking at some of the pictures and some of the metaphors and some of the imagery used in the Bible to describe the Christian church, us. The church, the Christian church, is uh, the gathering of God's people called to do the work of Jesus here on earth. And our ability to be who God has called us to be, our ability to do what God has called us to do, depends, I think, on our understanding of who that is, what God has called us to be, how he views us. So what is that? Who are we? What should fill the void in the center of that picture? Well, Scripture answers that question by giving us lots of pictures of who we are. The church is God's family. The church is a community. The church is a flock. The church is an army. The church is a hospital. The church is a body. And the final image that we're going to study is the church as a... Lighthouse. Uh, you know what a lighthouse is. You've seen one. A lighthouse is a structure along the coast with an elevated, brightly shining light visible to sailors and ship captains. The purpose of lighthouses are to warn mariners of invisible danger, rocks and shoals and such, and guide them along the coast into safe harbor. As I alluded to, the number of operational lighthouses is actually diminishing in the world as modern technology makes them obsolete. But many lighthouses are actually still very functional. They're not just useful for pretty pictures or the, uh, or the spooky setting for scary movies or Scooby-Doo episodes. <laughs> They're still doing what they were built to do, guide ships out of danger. Now, the word lighthouse is actually not used in the Bible. Jesus never calls his people a lighthouse like he calls them a body or like he calls them a community. Probably this is because Jesus grew up in the aridity of Israel and not like on Lake Michigan. But... Inasmuch as a lighthouse is a source of guidance, hope, and warning to people in danger, the connection between the church and the lighthouse is not hard to make. In fact, the authors of the Bible all but make it. 
Paul tells the church in Ephesus, once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He also writes to the Philippians, shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And in one of his most famous teachings, Jesus tells us that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. The church has called to be a light to the world in the same way that lighthouses are a light on the coastline. By the light of our good deeds, inspired by the Spirit of Jesus, we're to help people navigate the treachery of life, know where to go, what to avoid, and to somehow make it to the safe harbor of heaven. Now, this imagery of the church as a lighthouse has not been lost on Christians over the centuries. Hop on the internet, you'll find thousands of churches with the word lighthouse in their name. I typed in the words lighthouse church into Google. I got 660,000 different churches I could try. There's Lighthouse Baptist Church, Lighthouse Pentecostal Church, Lighthouse Church of All Nations, Lighthouse Full Gospel Church of God, Lighthouse Temple Church. I think they're mixing their metaphors there a little bit. There's even a lighthouse church, I don't know if you'll recognize this, but there's a lighthouse church up in North County on Lindbergh Boulevard. They actually have a functioning lighthouse in front of their building. Here's a picture. Uh, I grew up up there, and I was fascinated by this church with a functioning lighthouse in front of it. It's actually up by the airport, uh, and as a kid, I was wondering, I wonder if the airline pilots are confused. <laughs> there's the runway. Oh, it's a lighthouse. Ah, it's a church. There are thousands of churches in our country that call themselves lighthouse churches, shining the light of grace to a dark and dangerous world. What's a bit discouraging, though, is that when it comes to shining the light of the gospel in our country, maybe it's just me, but it seems to be that the darkness is winning. Yeah, America still contains more Christian believers than any other religion, but things are trending in the decidedly wrong direction. More and more young people, especially these days, have no interest in going to church for all the notable reasons. They think the church is too political. They think the church is anti-gay, anti-women, anti-science, accusations of which we are largely guilty in a lot of ways. The closure rate of churches in the United States is surprisingly, alarmingly high. Uh, statistics vary, but somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 churches close their doors permanently every year in this country. And we're not starting as many churches as are closing. Some churches are becoming as obsolete as lighthouses have become. They are just pretty buildings that don't do much anymore except look nice in pictures. Now, honestly, some churches need to close. You know as well as I do that there are plenty of stale churches out there filled with hypocrites and racists and materialists, people who frankly do more for the cause of darkness than do for the cause of Jesus. If these churches don't change and repent, they deserve to die. If Rooftop ever becomes that kind of church, we deserve to die. But not all churches closing their doors are like that. Uh, the decrease of the gospel in America is not entirely deserved. And as a result of the decline of Christianity, I think our nation is worse off. As the influence of the gospel 
And the message of Jesus wanes as the darkness spreads, moral standards decline, families break apart, community service decreases, philanthropy decreases. We're seeing that take place all across America as Christianity wanes. Which raises the question, how can we make sure that we here at Rooftop avoid obsolescence? How can we make sure our lighthouse is working and functional and a blessing to our community for generations to come? That's the goal, right? The goal is to shine the light of the gospel into our communities, into our families, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our places of work. This means to reflect the character of Jesus in a way that stands out in a world of darkness and gives people hope. And it means to do this urgently, knowing that if we don't shine the light of the gospel to them, they might get wrecked by their sin. As Paul writes in Romans, the night is almost over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension, not in jealousy. Rather, put on the armor of light and clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to shine brightly as a lighthouse in our, in our community. It means to live differently and in a way that is noticed by and blesses others so that they can be saved from the shoals of their sin. But how do we do that? How do we shine the light of Jesus? More to the point, how can we, as God's people here at Rooftop, better fulfill our mission as a lighthouse in our community? Well, entirely predictably, I have three answers to that question that I want to share with you this morning. And of course, they all start with the same letter. In fact, not only do they start with the same letter, they all start with the same first two letters. Did you miss me? <laughs> How can we as God's people better fulfill our mission as a lighthouse in our community? Well, we can stay plugged in. We can stick together. And we can station ourselves on the coast. We can stay plugged in. We can stick together. We can station ourselves on the coast. This morning's sermon is brought to you by the consonant blend. Stop. <laughs> First, we can stay plugged in. If we're going to bring light to our communities, we need to stay plugged into our energy source, which is Christ himself. Light bulbs don't stay on by themselves. Campfires don't burn without fuel. Stove flames don't just stay lit perpetually. They need gas, they need electricity, they need wood, they need oxygen, they need batteries. To burn brightly for Jesus, we've got to stay connected to God, spiritually, morally. Jesus actually says this, although he uses a slightly different metaphor. In John 15, Jesus says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, Jesus' example here is agricultural, uh, but his point is the same. If we're disconnected from God, cut off from the vine, we bear no fruit. We might as well just get cut off and burned. 
Had Jesus grown up in a non-agricultural society with electricity, he might have even made the point differently. Uh, he might have said this. He might have said, I am the wall socket. You are the light bulb with the cord. If you stay plugged into my socket and do not trip my breaker, and if the cat does not chew on your cord, you will burn very brightly and light up a room according to your wattage. Unplugged from me, you are just a bulbous piece of glass. If you do not stay plugged in, you are like a bulb with a broken filament. Such bulbs are unscrewed, dropped on the concrete by kids who love to hear that pop sound, and swept up and thrown away. Jesus might have said that. Never know. If you want to be a light for Jesus in your community, you've got to stay plugged in. Now, what does it mean to stay plugged in? Well, it means a lot. But it certainly means finding what powers you up. It means finding what fires you up. It means finding what your fuel is. Different people require different types of fuel, right? Different lighthouses actually require different types of fuel. I don't know if you know this, but over the years, uh, different lighthouses require different sources of power. Some operate on electricity, some operate on kerosene, some lighthouses have actually operated on whale blubber. And you gotta have the right kind of fuel. South Haven Lighthouse doesn't operate on whale blubber. Wouldn't work, would just gross out the tourists. Similarly, people need the right kind of fuel according to who they are. And we all have to ask ourselves, what fires us up for Jesus? What fires you up in particular? Prayer? Meditation? Bible study? Worship music? If you were here last night, got a healthy dose of that. What fires you up? Service? Study? Travel? Other people? No people? What fires you up? I'll tell you what fires me up. Books fire me up. Music fires me up. People fire me up. The right kind of people fire me up. What fires you up for Jesus? Find that fuel. Find out what your fuel is. Stock up on it and stay plugged in. In order to be a lighthouse in our communities, we need to stay plugged in. Secondly, we need to stick together. A lighthouse oftentimes doesn't include just one bulb, but actually several burning together. That increases what's known as the candle power or the brightness of the light. A campfire, not a single log. It's just a, 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 it's a stack of burning timbers. Even some of the brightest objects in the sky actually aren't solitary objects. Uh, some of the stars that we think are stars in the sky, they're actually not just stars. They're star clusters. The thousands of lights kind of held together, thousands of stars held together by gravity. You take any one of those lights, you put it up in the sky, you're not going to be able to see it. But you group them together by the thousands, you can see them across, uh, across, the, across the galaxy, millions of light years away. So it is with the church. The church is not a single bulb lighthouse. The church is more like, if you will, a chandelier with hundreds of little bulbs all burning together. I think Jesus is actually getting at this when he says, you are the light of the world. You can't really see this in the English translation, but Jesus doesn't say, you are the light of the world. Jesus doesn't even say, you are the light of the world. Jesus speaks in the plural. In Greek, it's humes. You all together are the light of the world. You all have to burn together to be the light of the world. Now I know what you might be thinking. How can the church of God possibly need, possibly depend on my little light? 
And it is a little light, right? I mean, haven't we been indoctrinated since VBS as children (laughs) to think that we have this tiny little light, this little light of mine? I mean, does anybody notice, does anybody notice when a chandelier is missing one little bulb? We actually have a chandelier in our dining room. It's not like a phantom of the opera chandelier. It's a little Lowe's chandelier. It's like at my eye level. (laughs) It has like 15 lights. And every now and then a bulb goes out. I won't notice it for months. Sometimes two or three bulbs go out. I won't notice that they're out for months. Along those lines, you might wonder, who's going to miss me if I'm not a part of God's church? I mean, a lot of you have actually wondered that, even here at Rooftop. If I stopped coming, would anybody notice? I mean, what difference can I possibly make? You might wonder. But whether or not anybody would notice whether or not you're here isn't the question. That's caring way too much about what other people think. The question is whether or not the work of God on earth suffers at all because you're not involved. And it does. It would. Everyone has something to contribute no matter how little. I might not notice when one or two or three bulbs in my chandelier go out, but I bring a light meter into the room, it's going to tell me dimmer. You take three people out of a choir, most of us aren't going to tell, but the choir's actually going to sing softer. You take three joists out of a floor, it's not going to make it through an earthquake. We burn less brightly with you not in our chandelier. That's how God intended this to work. We burn brighter when we stick together. I mean, imagine if God gave us all flashlights and stationed us along the coast to warn ships of the danger of the rocks. But we're all standing there by ourselves. And a ship comes along, and we're like waving our flashlight. Stop! Stop! Ship captain, stop! Stop! S D O. I'm doing Morse code. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Stop. You know, trying to write it in the dark. No one's going to see that with our little light. That's why we got to bring them together. So they burn brightly. What does that mean? It means all the obvious stuff. It means coming to church. It means singing when everybody else is singing. It means serving where you can. It means becoming a member It means getting screwed into the chandelier. To be a more effective lighthouse, we need to stay plugged in, we need to stick together, and lastly, we need to station ourselves along the coastline. There's a good reason that lighthouses get built on the coastlines around rocks and not in the middle of the state. Why? That's where the boats are. More specifically, that's where the rocks are. That's where the danger lies. It's why Jesus says what he does. You are the light of the world. In biblical terms, the world usually represents all that has not yet fallen under God's control. It's the world that is enveloped in darkness and needs light. Uh, Paul kind of says something similar. When he says in Philippians, do everything without grumbling or arguing. By the way, I should read that again. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Think of the difference God's people could make in the world if we just did everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. You will not shine apart from them in a different part of the sky. You will shine among them. Not in a different part, among the other parts of the sky. You know the the application of this here, and it's important. Christians need to be people that aren't afraid to break out of our little religious huddles. Now, yes, we need to stick together. I'm not contradicting myself here, but we need to stick together in places that need the light we have to give. There is an urge among Christians to withdraw from the world, to avoid being polluted by the world. And sure, the world can be a dangerous place, although, for the record, not nearly as dangerous as the sin in our own hearts, right? The world can be a dangerous place, and it can be very tempting to want to put as much space between us and the coastline so we don't end up on the rocks. But here's the thing about lighthouses. They don't do any good except on the rocks. The only lighthouses that you find not on the coastline are ones at putt-putt courses. If you're a follower of Jesus, the question to ask yourself then is, what's my coastline? What dark part of the world am I shining in? And for the record, different people are going to answer this question in different ways. Uh, Years ago, for example, when our kids turned school age, uh, my wife and I, uh, Michelle and I, had to make a decision about schooling. And I share this illustration with great apprehension because educational choices can be very controversial among Christian people. So uh, take it for what it's worth. But 12 years ago, we had to decide how we wanted to raise our kids. Uh, Our oldest was attending a private Christian school that was great, it's also very expensive. Uh, and when, when we moved to Afton, uh, we weren't sure if we wanted to continue that. We had heard terrible things about the state of public education in our country. Although both Michelle and I were raised public edu- education children, we both turned out reasonably, respectably well. At least Michelle did, I suppose. <laughs> so we thought about spending the money to continue private education. We thought about homeschooling. I actually suggested to Michelle that we try homeschooling, and I'll never forget her response. She said, oh, that'd be great if you wanted to homeschool. <laughs> so no then. <laughs> Uh, Ultimately, we decided, ultimately, I dare say, we even felt called to get involved in the local public school system. We wanted to get to know people that way. We wanted to make a difference that way. So we jumped in with both feet, and it's one of the best decisions we've ever made in our life in ministry in all kinds of ways. We have been blessed beyond measure. The Lord has used us to be a blessing. We've met incredible people. Our kids have turned into incredible people. They have not suffered thanks in part to the education, the opportunities, the community. It's a blessing all around. And here's the point. We're making a profound difference. I know not everyone feels led to do that. If you're a parent and you make a different educational choice, I absolutely respect that. I might even support it, depending on your convictions and your circumstances. But wherever you send your kids, and whether or not you even have kids, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to have a coastline. So what's your coastline? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your workplace? I know it can feel dangerous living along the coastline, but being a Christian not on the coastline makes as much sense as building a lighthouse in central Kansas. 
The good people of central Kansas don't need coastline, no, don't need lighthouses. It's the world that needs lighthouses. It's the people living along the coast, battling sin, addiction, dysfunction, materialism, godlessness, sexual immorality, hopelessness, depression. They're the ones that need a lighthouse. And with Christ burning inside us, we really are the light. We have an example of this in Jesus himself. Jesus could have stayed safe in the confines of heaven. The Son of God was perfectly safe in God's presence, adored, praised by angels, and shrouded by light. Jesus knew that in descending to earth, he would leave the security of heaven. He would be vulnerable to the perils of earth. Sin, death, persecution. He might even get dashed upon the rocks. But he did it anyway. He came out and hung out on the coastline. He attended our schools, our parties, our meetings. He moved into our neighborhood. And sure enough, he paid the price for it. After a few years, Jesus' enemies decided they had had enough of his light shining, and they decommissioned him. They unplugged him in an especially violent way. They tore his body to shreds and hung him upon a cross. They smashed his bulb. But that needed to happen. By his death, he made the payment for our sins, and then he rose again from the dead to prove that not even death could snuff out his light. As John writes in his gospel, in Jesus Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We remember these things when we celebrate communion, like we do on the third week of every month here at Rooftop. We remember that Jesus came into the world to shine brightly. And even as the world snuffed out his light, his death made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. By his death, we have been forgiven of the darkness of our own hearts. But communion also reminds us that Jesus is not still dead. He rose from the dead and he ascended into the light of heaven and he is alive today in his spirit, in his body the body of believers gathered together around the dinner table. Jesus is here among us, within us, shining the light of his grace to a dark and dangerous world through us.